I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. I am so happy that you are here and I would love for you to take a quick second and click like and hit subscribe. It is so important to help this podcast continue. And if you love what you're hearing on the podcast, you can continue to get cool stuff. All you have to do is go to beufindhappy.com and join the movement. Good morning, Sydney. Welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm great. Good morning. Good morning to you. I'm, I'm super excited to talk about your book because I, too, um, was raised in a similar way. Can you share with the listeners a little bit about yourself and the name of your book for me? Sure. Um, my name is Sinia Curran Finfer. My book is Confessions of a Helmet-Free Childhood, Truish Tales of an Analog Upbringing. Um, I was born in 1960 in New York City, but I grew up in the upper Midwest, um, and bounced around between five different grade schools and three different high schools. And I had a big birthday just last month, and I decided to write um, 13 essays about crazy things I did as a kid, not only just to record that for posterity, but also I think the tales are universal of childhood in the uh, 60s and 70s. So I was late 70s, 79, so I barely made the cutoff there. But I was very much raised, you know, where we were laying in the back window of the car and, uh, you know, in the back, in the way back of the truck, the bed of the truck, no seatbelts, no anything like that. So, so I love that. Let's talk a little bit about um, what inspired you to kind of write this story at this time and, and happy belated birthday. Yeah, well, thank you. I, I think it's one of those things that we all have sort of stories banging around in our head, and I would call these epic tales. Everybody has those family stories, like the first time Uncle Tim did the barbecue or when Aunt Sally gave the cat a bath, you know, those stories that always get, you know, drug out. So I have a few of those, but um, the inspiration for me actually was a, another person's book. Uh, Jenny Nash wrote a book called Altered States, and it was the run-up from the time she was proposed to to the moment that she was standing um, in the church about to be married. But she wrote the book in um, essays, self-contained essays, um, that ascended in a chronological fashion. And I remember reading that book and going, wow, I, I could do this. Um, my background is marketing communications. I've written scripts and uh, speeches and articles for everybody, but I'd never written a book. And that seems structurally uh, what I want to do. As far as the spirit, uh, I would say my spirit animal is a gentleman by the name of Charles Phoenix, who has a wonderful website, GodBlessAmericana.com. And he celebrates uh, the mid-century life through uh, Kodachrome slides. And what I tried to do was my own version, but the spirit of it, that he laughs at all the things that we did, not in a snarky way, but just in sort of a affectionate, humorous way of, wasn't that a crazy time? You know, I think now's the crazy time and that was the good days. <laughs> it's like the good old days. Um, I mean, I really, I, I feel a lot, especially living where I live in California, that we have taken over-regulation to like the nth degree um, in the sense of, you know, like when we go up to visit Alaska, 
there's, for example, this, this mine up there that you can, it's like a cave and you can go walk through it and everything. And I think there's like a teeny tiny sign on there, uh, half of the size of a piece of paper that says dangerous, you know, you could die warning. That's it. And in California, and, and we have numerous caves around here and, you know, they, they wall them up with gates and board them up and reinforce them and all this and that. And, and I get it. Like, I, I think that, you know, protecting people is, is one thing, but I really feel like we've just overprotected absolutely everybody from everything. I think part of that is that um, America is a very litigious country. Um, I had a similar story. We were in Spain, my husband and I, and we there was sort of this crumbly castle. There was no sign. There was no railing. It was sort of like, if you want to cl- crawl up the clum- uh, crumbly stairs, you take your chances. And I think, unfortunately, in America, if somebody trips in a supermarket or um, falls down a stairs at an at amusement park, um, everything's a lawsuit. Um, and so, unfortunately, the, the backlash of that is a lot of... Um, a lot of litigation. But I think, you know, going back to when I I was a kid, I, I mean, I, it just wasn't there. I mean, I, we, I can remember standing in the back behind my dad in our car when he was driving and sort of having my hands on my dad's shoulders. It never thought to like sit us down, put us in a, in a uh, seatbelt or what, what you were talking about uh, with the back, uh, the payload of a truck. Uh, I had a friend's grandfather whose greatest joy was to pull up to the street and say, hey, who wants to go to Dairy Queen? I'm buying. And like, you know, 10 of us would crawl into the payload and he'd go roaring off to the Dairy Queen. Well, now, if an older gentleman, you know, went carting off with, you know, um, 10 elementary school kids, it'd be on the five o'clock news. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I wonder, is it uh, is it that our world has become less trustworthy? So we've had to do this? Or is it that people have become more Sue happy? You know, it makes me wonder about that. Like, um, you know, certainly I, I'm for safety precautions, but but I very much grew up um, running in the woods late in the evening. Me and my brothers wouldn't come back until my dad whistled. And my dad had a whistle that could be heard two miles away. Wow. Um, but, that, but that was how it was. We were out until after dark, you know, and, um, now it's just so different than that. I mean, my mom, you know, recalls hitchhiking as a kid and I think she was born in 61 and, you know, I can't fathom like any of the, the young teens that I know hitchhiking today, you know? Well, I think the thing is, is that, um, you know, and I'm not going to hold my childhood up as the penultimate childhood. I mean, I have two grown children. My, today's my daughter's 21st birthday. (laughs) I think they had a very wonderful childhood as well. But I think it's striking that balance between autonomy and supervision. I would argue that we're a little over-supervised, but I really cherish the autonomy I had. I had uh, My parents were pretty strict on the spectrum of parenting, um, but I think with good reason. Um, but to your point, we'd come home from school and we wouldn't go straight home. You know, maybe I'd right. stop- house. Maybe I'd talk to somebody's dad who was working on the car engine. Maybe I'd go to the creek nearby and throw some rocks in the creek for about 20 minutes and then head home. And we did have some parameters. It's like we weren't completely free range, but like we were allowed to go to such and such street, or you can go as far as the church this way. And as far as you right. can go to the drugstore to buy some candy. And that was it. Um, and there were, you know, the, what you were saying, like when you hear my whistle or you hear me call or the, the street lights go on or the sun starts to set, get home. Um, yeah, start but, running. Yeah, so I guess start running. There will be trouble if you're much late. There's a five-minute grace period. Um, so I, I, I think we were very lucky in that 
you know, being a kid, when I was a kid, there was still, you know, jump ropes and it was much more physical. You were outside and also television wasn't 24 hours yet. Cartoons were only on Saturday. So there wasn't this right. intense children programming where, you know, entertainment was just a flick away. Our, our mom would throw us outside and go, go out and play. And it wasn't like first you're going to jump rope and then you're going to ride your bike. You had to figure it out. Right. It was just get outside. Yeah. Go outside. Leave me alone. Right. <laughs> I'm working on whatever. And, and then the other part of that, too, is um, much to what you said about television. Uh, you know, there were just there was no constantness of it and the replaying of whatever you'd like or episode after episode. Like, you, you know, if you weren't sitting on the couch at 6 p.m. when that episode of that family TV you show that you watched it. came on, you missed it. Yeah, it was done. That's it. There was no VCR. I mean, if you missed your show, you missed your show. <laughs> and then heaven forbid there be something else on blocking your show. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember if, there was an earthquake somewhere. My, <laughs> my parents would let us take TV tables out. Like when the Olympics were playing in 72, we had dinner in front of the TV. That was a big treat. You know, my mom was not a keep the TV on during dinner, but this was the Olympics, my goodness. And let's make dinner and let's get it all set up and... Here comes Jim McKay telling us what's going on in Munich tonight. It was a big deal. Right. Right. Yep. I remember, too, that um, when my grandpa had on the news, the, you know, five o'clock news, it was, that was his thing. That's what he watched. And we were not allowed to interrupt. And I actually remember uh, one of my brother's toys, but we were visiting them and my brother had this obnoxious toy. And I remember, you know, multiple times he was asked, stop playing with that, stop playing with that. And. He didn't. And sure enough, that toy got broken and that was that. And, and that's another kind of component is I, I can distinctly recall as a kid, my dad telling us numerous times not to leave our bikes in the driveway. And, uh, you know, he said, one of these days I'm going to run it over and that's going to be that. And sure enough, my brothers left one of their bikes in the driveway and he ran that thing over. Wow. Whether he saw it or not, I still don't know. Right. But, you know, it, back then there was a lot more of that kind of tough love in, in that I'm, I'm going to tell you what, you know, shame on, on you if I tell you twice kind of thing. Exactly. Like, yeah. It, and now there's just so much more coddling and, um, well, was this I was talking to one woman, she was saying to me, well, you know, what do you do with these girls who go to the nail salon and get nail tips at 12? I'm like, well, who drove them to the nail salon? <laughs> and who right. gave them and yeah, you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with having all your little girlfriends over and having a day of beauty and bring all your nail polishes in and let's bring out the curlers and curling iron and maybe we'll color somebody's hair and you could do it in the you know living room. It doesn't have to. I think we've we've we we're training these kids to to be consumers rather than doing things for themselves. And and, you know, I don't think it it's universal. I think there's lots of kids who have outdoorsy existences, but I think you have to be aware of that and not feed that beast. And, and we're going into a great topic. Um, three, three questions that I kind of wanted to hit on while we were having this conversation. Um, and, and one of the big ones is, you know, what are the ways in which we've created kind of this entitled generation? Well, I think it's, it's you have to set a boundary and keep to it. Um, you know, one phrase I would say to my kids would be like, oh, we want to do this. And I just look at them and say, well, that's not going to happen. You know, that's not going to happen. <laughs> and, you know, that they don't like hearing that. But then you have to follow through. I think the thing is, is that if you bend to whining, then what you're teaching your kids is keep whining and you'll finally, you'll wear her down. 
Whereas, you know, and, 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 you know, nobody likes to be the sheriff. Everybody wants to be the nice guy. Like, let's all go to the zoo folks. But, um, you know, you have to draw a line and you have to be consistent. I agree. And I think too, that, um, you know, there's this idea that like uh, there, you could overwork your kid. I'll tell you what, my parents had us out there chopping wood, stacking wood, doing all of that. And it built resiliency. Did we love it? No, mostly we hated it, but it taught us how to work hard for what we wanted, you know, and the reward was usually something like, you know, you can pick out a special meat for dinner, like rib, we'll barbecue ribs or, you know, we all pick up a pizza or it, it wasn't even a big thing. And it, you, and it was rarely money. <laughs> also, when you're little, when you're a little kid, you want to do grown up things and you're, it's a missed opportunity. If you don't say to your four-year-old, could you please set the table? Oh, they think that's great. Now the forks might be in the wrong place and there might not be spoons and the napkins might be folded in a very unusual way, but you know, they tried. And, you know, similarly, you know, on a more grown up level, um, when my son turned 14, I said he could use the chainsaw to chop down, you know, pare down our Christmas tree. Oh, he thought that was great. And to this day that like that is his job. Um, Now, he's had less and less supervision over the time. But the first time it was very supervised. But the thing is, is that you never get them to sort of buy into the the rhythm of the the. household you know like when i pull up with groceries everybody better come out and bring a bag in i'm not doing the whole thing by myself no i lose it if they don't help <laughs> you know so like, i hey. think that you have to set up and at the same time you make them feel a champ i mean if all, all, all kids ever hear about is what they didn't do right well who who can operate under that you know so you make them feel like a champ for doing what they do but also things have to be age appropriate i mean when we used to go to the beach um I said, everybody's got to have to carry something. And now, you know, maybe my daughter's only three. She can carry a shovel and a pail. But the idea is, you know, I'm not a pack mule. We all, if we all want to go to the beach, we all have to help. Gosh, you sound like me on the daily. <laughs> <laughs> you all enjoyed this dinner. So you're all going to help. Right, right. Uh, this didn't just drop from the sky. Mm-hmm. I do think that moms get in the habit of just like, okay, I'll take this. I'll take that. I'll handle it all. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and my husband, I can remember a couple of times, especially when my son was little, where, you know, he'd say, I don't understand why, you know, you, you're not excited to, to go do this weekend trip or whatever. And I'm like, you don't understand. Like I'm packing for you. I'm packing for me. I'm packing right. for the kid. I'm taking care of the dogs, figuring out where they're going, not to mention all the food. I've got to haul everything down there, do everything while I'm down there, haul it all back and clean it. Like, it's exhausting. Well, my, my, my uh, husband's uh, cousin had a great line on that. When, uh, to your point, we went from California to Massachusetts to visit cousins. And I had to bring the pack and play and the car seats. I mean, I felt like a roadie on a rock tour. And she <laughs> was watching me pack all this stuff into her house. And she said, this isn't a vacation for you. This is a change of venue exactly that's exactly how it felt I mean we did we took him everywhere but I remember thinking this is just like exponential work right. <laughs> everything well, I that I Will have Smith, at home without the ease of home Will, Will Smith had the observation the smaller the kid the more uh luggage <laughs> yeah. it's absolutely true the infants have the most I remember the pack and play too and all that the little jail sale that we yeah. <laughs> figured out <laughs> Because again, you can't let them just wander off. That that's no. not the modern age. <laughs> that's what our parents did. I, there's a picture of my husband sitting in a metal car seat, strapped to it, right next to the campfire. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> we laugh about it now, but that's that was it. It was like, yeah, that's your spot. <laughs> Never mind that it's probably like roasting hot. You're fine. <laughs> 
Exactly. We'll just um, turn you over in, in five minutes. So uh, one of my favorites, uh, comedians, uh, metaphysical people right now, et cetera, et cetera, is um, Awaken with JP, JP Sears. And he's got a great podcast, got a great Instagram. Um, he recently just had a baby, uh, which has been kind of fun to watch this whole process. But one of the cool uh, he does a lot of satire and one of the cool satirical videos that he just posted this week was, um, it, it was a play on kind of the victim mentality. Okay. And he, he, you know, he says, you know, here's, here's the best way to shame your kid, you know, to ensure <laughs> you raise a kid full of shame. And that, and he's doing this play on it, but, but it's funny because everything he's saying is so true. And I'm just curious, um, what do you think about kind of the victim mentality versus the resilient mentality that we're seeing lately? I mean, and, and you know, this is kind of a sensitive topic for a lot of people, but there's a fine line between like, let's use bullying in school, um, which we no longer hear about that went away with COVID. But, um, you know, it, there's a fine line between protecting kids from excessive bullying to the point where they could become suicidal or something right. and letting them figure out how to you know, handle their own battles in life. What do you think about that? My phrase is, it is a life skill to learn how to navigate unpleasant people. Unpleasant people are going to be part of your life. Um, and yes, it's a function of degree. You know, some teasing at the bus stop is one thing. Um, physically threatening someone or, you know, psychological uh, torture is a whole other thing. But I'll tell you, I'll tell you, for instance, that comes to my mind. My son was in gym class in like fourth or fifth grade and they were playing flag football and a bigger kid missed a shot and he was really mad. He took off his flag football butt and slapped it to the ground, but he caught my son's neck and literally left a mark on him. Like as if he had whipped him with the flag. Oh, wow. So my son came home with a red streak down his neck and I said, you know, what happened? And he said, well, this kid, you know, missed this, missed the shot and did this. And it happened to me. And I said, well, I have a really important question. Did he, was he aiming at you or was he just mad and you got in the way? And he said, I got in the way, you know, like I was in the way. And I'm like, well, that's a very important distinction. It's still not okay because when we have a tantrum with sports equipment, someone can get hurt and PS, you right. don't want to get hurt. So we had to sit down with his, we didn't get involved with the principals. It was just family to family, but we had a conversation and, um, you know, he was allowed to say, well, I was really mad and whatever. And, you know, my son said, well, you know, I got hurt. That wasn't really great. And the, 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 the mom allowed that there were things going on with the family and that the son was angry about other things. And this could have been something that flashed out. But we taught, we walked through it. Um, so I think that intention is important. Um, but I also think you, you can't rush in and solve everything for your kids. Um, I have a friend whose daughter was out playing with two other girls and then they kind of iced her out. And the dynamics of three can be tricky. And she was very hurt. And of course, it made my friend's uh, blood boil, but you don't go racing over and saying, hey, you know, Susie was mean to, uh, you know, Karen, what are you going to do about it? You know, she kind of sat down and said, well, how did, how did this make you feel? And what, do you, you know, do you still want to be their friends? Do you think it was just, you know, dynamics of three today? Or, or are, are you feeling that maybe they're not your friends? And just having kids, one, validate the fact that what they're dealing with is unpleasant, but also what are you going to do about it? And I also think grownups have to merchandise to children that this is something that goes on for the rest of your life. I mean, I've had situations where something has gone sideways on a project I'm working on, and I'm in a really bad mood. And I'll look at my kids and say, this has nothing to do with you, but I'm really angry and I need to work through, you know, I'm not as articulate as I am right now, but, you know, I have to work through this. This has nothing to do with you, but I got to walk this off. Um, mm -hmm. and 
And I think the thing that it's important to be an advocate for your kid, but I think also you don't have to jump in on every little deal. Yeah, I totally agree. And we have, um, you know, there's five nieces and nephews, including my son. So five total cousins. And then we have just a tremendous tribe of friends that have kids all the same age. And so it's not uncommon for us to have, you know, 15 to 20 kids at the house. And inevitably, for the most part, they all play really well. Uh, But inevitably, there will be one or two snafus, you know, through the course of an evening or whatever. And we'll say, hey, is somebody bleeding? Is somebody broken? Is somebody, you know, right. and if the answers are no, it's like, then figure it out. You know, like you guys work that out. Um, which, which feels really good. I mean, every once in a while we'll have to say, Hey, that, you know, you need to include so-and-so or whatever, figure out a way right. to include so-and-so. But, um, but for the most part, they, they do work it out. And I, I think that that's part of the problem is the parents, you know, jumping in right away to problem solve for them. And, or, you know, talking to the other parent and saying, your kid can never talk to my kid this way or whatever. It's like, hey, they got to figure well, it out. Awesome. And the tattletaling thing is too I much. I think the smartest opener is what happened. Because, you know, if I walk into the room and someone's just pushed someone down to the ground, well, I think I know who was the good guy and the bad guy on that. But, you know, rewind the, the situation five more minutes and you might find out the person who got pushed to the floor was being really unpleasant and right. you know, pushing it and pushing it. So usually what I'd ask is, is to get the, the debriefing from both parties on what happened, because what you just saw might not tell the whole story. Exactly. And then empower them to work it out, empower them exactly. to problem solve. Like, what's this? What's the best case scenario for this outcome for you? Like, what, what do you need here? And, and that's just teaching them skills that they'll be able to use later in life when they have a difficult boss or a difficult coworker or whatever, whereby when we come in and kind of play, you know, the almighty problem solver, they don't, they don't get to work through that stuff. Right. We're not doing our kids any favors by enabling that kind of behavior at all. Well, it has to be age appropriate, too. I remember where um, my son got into it with someone in preschool. Well, I mean, like, he can't write a note or something. So I just sat him down and said, you have to make a I'm sorry picture. And we're going to sit down with Max's mom, and you are going to present this this picture as sort of a token of, you know, uh, apology and whatever. And, I mean, you, you don't belabor it. They're little. So, so it's maybe a five-minute conversation. But you're just developing some muscle memory of saying, like, hey, you messed up. You need to own it. You need to make amends. And you, these two weren't going to be super best besties for the next couple of days. But you, the, the person who did something has to make amends. And the person who has been wronged, for lack of a better verb, um, sees that amends can be made. You're teaching both of them in that instance. Yeah. And I love that because making amends is so important. Learning how to be able to own what you've done is a critical piece of that. And I think that's a lot of what's missing. Um, It's interesting because this year has really unfolded a lot for me about like, uh, you know, just as far as our sense of entitlement to, to things in our life and that sense of victim mentality of like, well, what, what am I in control of? What am I not? You know, that sort of stuff. And, and also groupthink. And I think groupthink can be really dangerous. And I feel like, (laughs) 
you know, generations prior, our parents, at least my parents, raised me to truly think independently, you know, to be a critical thinker and to question, to question things if they didn't sit right for me. And I don't see that happening now. I don't see that, you know, we're, um, we're encouraging kids to really question some of what they've been told rather than, you know, raising this generation of kids that's, that's hardwired to show up at this time and push a button. You know what I mean? I, I do. And I think that's part of it. And I also think the, the, the balancing challenge of it is a little too much individualism. I mean, the, the old saying, there's no I in team. Um, I think the best thing that kids can go through, whether whatever, it doesn't have to be a sport. Maybe you're a dancer and be at a dance class, but an ensemble setting that not everybody's in the spotlight. And sometimes it's really important that, you know, you're tap dancing in time behind three other people because it all works and looks better if we all do it right. And I think what's been kind of scary over the last couple of months is, you know, I, I appreciate the the sanctity of the individual, but it's sometimes uh, you have to think about the greater good. And I think mm-hmm. children who are only doing things that are personal best um, can become very brittle. And when that's stripped them, I mean, like to take into an extreme, when you think of the boy who went nuts at uh, Virginia Tech and shot the place up, he was so invested in his academic success. And mm-hmm. when one of his teachers said, you know, this this thesis isn't A material, he flipped out. And I think right. that need to be resilient. They have to, I think as parents, we have to merchandise, not, not merchandise, but let's say normalize failure. One of my favorite stories about Susan Blakely, the head of Spanx, was her dad would say every night, well, how'd you mess up today? He normalized, he normalized <laughs> failure because, because failure is how you get there. I mean, I, I've learned so much doing this book. I mean, this is my first book, so I learned a lot about licensing agreements. I've learned a lot about website design. I've learned a lot about Facebook ads. And guess what? It didn't all go to plan. <laughs> um, but you, you learn from that. And I think it's important for kids to see you know, that, you know, oh, dad forgot the keys. And so he's late to work. And how did that play out? And um, mom went to the grocery store, but she forgot that one thing we really wanted. Well, what, you know, how will we navigate that? Yeah. yeah. And I think that those are great windows for experiential learning. Um, I, you know, and I think it's important that we allow them as many experiences as possible. Sometimes it's hard, you know, as a parent to a young son, I often just need to get something done, you know? So it's like, right. as much as I want him to contribute and be able to help, it's like, man, if I, it's going to take four times as long. Like if mm-hmm. I just get it done myself kind of thing. So it's, it's, it's navigating through that and figuring out, well, what is something that I can offload that doesn't, that isn't quite as urgent or doesn't carry quite as much, you know, brevity if it's not done correctly or something like that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And I, and I think it's, we're not perfect and some days go better than others. Um, but I think if you're aware of something that you need to address, that's the first step. And at the same time, you know, I think kids need to hear, I messed up and I'm sorry. You know, I've, I've had a thing where I've had a total hissy fit about something and then, you know, I can gather myself and I go like, you know, I'm really sorry. I was out of line. And kids need to hear that from their parents because otherwise it creates this barrier of us and them. And not that they're, that you're, that they are your equals, you're the head of the household, but as is age appropriate, I think they have to understand that even grown-ups have good days and bad days, and sometimes things don't go as planned, and the real lesson is, how are you, what are you going to do about that? Mm-hmm. 
concur. Uh, yeah. And I think circling back is important because we're inevitably going to lose our goal at times, you know, when we're frustrated about something or whatnot and not react in the best way that we could have. And so long as we circle back, I think that's just saying, Hey, I'm human too. Yes. Um, obviously working to be mindful and trying not to do that, but that's part of, um, kind of our life experience. I feel like is, is practicing the art of, you know, non-reactivity. <laughs> yeah. It's hard. Um, and, and some days I'm better. I'm, I'm much better before 10 PM. Don't pick a fight with me after 10 PM. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, and so another big topic that, you know, certainly in my circles as a psychotherapist is coming up quite a bit, certainly coming up a lot just with parents in general. How is the masking of our kids going to affect their confidence and et cetera in the future, do you think? The masking? Mm-hmm. Wearing masks? Yes. Um, I think it's, some, it's, it's for the greater good. I mean, I think like anything, there are rules that we might not agree with, but sometimes we have to abide by rules we don't agree with. And, you know, I, where you stand depends where you sit. I have three doctors in my family, so I'm all for masks. Um, but I think the thing that, uh, you know, small children are more active. There's a different situation. They're not in as many um, group situations. So they, um, you know, they're not going to the store. You can leave them at home. But, but, you know, if you're going to be in a public place and you're dealing with a, um, you know, a viral pandemic, I think we all have to do our part. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a nice concept of all doing our part. However, I do think that psychologically we're going to see some lasting impacts from the fact that, you know, 80% of children's uh, perception of others is based on nonverbal communication. And when they're walking in a world where everybody's faces are covered, that that's inevitably oh, going absolutely. to have some sort of effect. Like, I think we would be naive to say, Oh no, this generation of kids is not, you know, but I, mean, there's, I don't see there's year, any way that okay? that would... it hasn't been a calendar year yet. And I have friends whose parents were children in the blitz um, of England and, you know, talk about uh, traumatic post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Um, I think that, to your point, you're wise to be aware of it and that, yes, there is an impact. And what are you going to do about it? Because both masters have to be served. We have to get through this. And um, the children will have an opportunity to regroup from this. I've had sort of, a, I wouldn't say a front row seat. I've had a bleacher seat to my cousins and friends who have children everywhere from preschool to a senior in high school having to navigate remote learning. And it's very challenging. And I wouldn't begin to say I have the answers, um, but I think... Uh, certain subjects do better remotely than others. Uh, different age groups do better with remotely uh, learning and certain subjects lend themselves better for that. So it is it is not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, but it is the best, and I put best in quotes, um, scenario we have in a very, very challenging situation. Yeah. And I, you know, I think back to my grandma and the fact that, you know, she reused styrofoam cups that had bite marks in them and, mm -hmm. and mayonnaise jars because she grew up, um, in, in wartime. Um, but there were effects from that, um, psychologically, and there were effects from obviously, um, you know, kind of the fallout of war as far as physical health too. So it will be interesting to see how this plays out in future generations. And, um, I think that we'll definitely, uh, you know, see, see that as, as time kind of goes on, but, um, hopefully we recover from it more quickly than, you know, than 
than it took to develop it. Hopefully it, you know. But I think also to your earlier point, I think you acknowledge to your kids, this is not fun. We're not enjoying this. And and being, and acknowledging the fact that there is a trade-off and an impact for them not to be able to read nonverbal cues. I, I think you're absolutely on mark on that. Um, but at the same time, resilience, that's really uh, what, what there's a quote that's flying around. Intelligence is the ability um, you know, to change, to, to adapt to changes. And this isn't forever. This is for now. Um, and I think being a, an attuned parent, you can see how it's impacting your kids. And, you know, maybe it's a conversation with your, uh, uh, general physician and teachers and whatever on what you need to do to offset what's happening. Yeah. And for me, the way that I've kind of approached it, my son's old enough now, so he's not three or four anymore. He's almost 10. He's old enough now to to be able to, I think, discern some of this stuff for himself. So rather than just telling him, you know, what, you know, here's what the news says, or here's what the, the state officials say, um, I've actually gone as far as to do research on scholarly journals and share that with him and say, Okay, so based on this information that I've shared with you, how do you feel about this? Right. What do you think? And I'm involving him in that process because, um, you know, I think that's where that independent thinking comes in. And unfortunately, I feel like we've really, uh, you know, distributed a narrative uh, via social media and media and things like that. And we're removing you know, that ability to, for kids to kind of have to do their own research to just say, oh, well, you know, the media said it, so it is kind of thing. And, I, and I'd like to see more kids, um, you know, be able to say, okay, so this is what someone is saying to me and, uh, and then go and do research to see how they feel about that. And we could be talking about absolutely anything. Right. Um, you know, from what foods are best to eat to whether you should wear a helmet while riding a motorcycle, exactly. you know, and, and really thinking for, for ourselves in that way. Um, you know, certainly I, I want to raise a child who has the ability to discern for himself or at Absolutely. least know where to go for that information, you know? Right. And to take take the old phrase, uh, consider the source. And, uh, you know, part of part of my thing with this book is there's why I call it truish is uh, there are three sides to any story, yours, mine and the truth. Um, we, we everybody puts a filter on things to a degree. Um, and, you know, we all we all have that uncle who tells a tall tale and we all have that girlfriend who makes things a little more grandiose than they are. And you. <laughs> Consider going, okay, it's Stacy, and she likes, she kind of makes things, everything a little grander than they are, but okay. Um, and, and I think children learn to discern um, information, but I think you're absolutely right to walk them through that process saying, okay, we saw this. What does somebody else have to say about it? Right, exactly. And, I, and I've often said that to my son when he'll say, oh, so-and-so said this, or um, we're supposed to do that if he reads a sign. And I'll say, well, what do you think you should do? You know, um, and, and empower him to like, well, let me think about that. How do I feel about this situation that I'm in? Do I want to jump off this 10 foot rock into the lake? I don't know. You know, the sign says no jumping. Do I want to do that? Or do I think that's not a good idea? What does it feel like to me? Um, or maybe if there's no sign that says no jumping and someone else is doing it, do you think that's a great idea? What is your body telling you? Right. Um, right. and I, and I think that, you know, um, that's that's part of that that's part of just being in tune and being able to listen to ourselves and being able to you know silence 
and know that we do have a lot of these answers within and a lot of our learning comes from making mistakes as well, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> I'd say that's the cornerstone of my book, you know, by getting it wrong, you find the way to the right. And I, I mean, kids don't learn, don't put your fingers on the stove until you put your fingers on the stove and wow, that's really unpleasant. I don't want to do that. Um, you might also tell a secret to a girlfriend that you think, oh, she's my good friend and she won't tell and she blabs to everyone. You're like, okay, lesson learned. <laughs> I'm not sharing any information like that with you. Anymore. Right. Experience. And I'll tell you what we, um, right before my son was born, we replaced all the electrical outlets to those fancy dancy ones that you can't stick a fork in. Cause as a right. kid, I stuck a fork in a light socket mm-hmm. and, um, you know, my nephew who is notoriously accident prone stuck a slinky in it. Like where there's a will, there is a way. And they, it doesn't matter how many safeguards you put in there. If they're going to do it, they're going to do it, right. you know? Right. Yeah. He won't do that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> Makes my hair curl just thinking about it. And fortunately, he didn't die. So that, but you know, that's, yeah, that's so. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on. How can people connect with you? Where can they find you? Sure. Well, um, I think the easiest thing to do is Google the title, Confessions of a Helmet-Free Childhood. I have a website that has um, a sample chapter, photos, um, and hot links uh, to where you can purchase it. Um, I also have a Facebook page, um, Helmet Free Confessions of a Helmet-Free Childhood, and that basically has captured a lot of things from the 60s and 70s that we knew as kids. The aforementioned Slinky, uh, Spirograph, Hula Hoops, Frisbee, the whole show. Um, and I hope people will think about uh, taking a look at it because I think it'll get you started talking about your epic stories. I love that. Thank you so much for coming on the BU Find Happy podcast. Great. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Happy holidays. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. <laughs> For more inspiration, check out our links. Bye bye. Bye bye.